When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 418 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and he's Rafa Aldemui. And Rafa, we've got two main things on the menu with a little bit of an appetizer in between. Today we're talking Messi, today we're talking Busquets. And it's entirely different stories, but one that does seem to overlap quite a bit, actually, when you look at telling the story of Messi and Busquets. So I think for the optimism and general vibes of this show... We're going to start with Messi and the 3-0 win over Croatia today that we just got finished watching about four or five hours ago. I already have the five headlines. That match review already up on YouTube. Believe it or not, I actually got to the work and did it right away. So it's actually already on the internet by the time you hear this. So check that out or hear some of it here because, again, I have the numbers that are just too good not to say twice. But, yeah, I would say starting with Messi makes a little more sense because of the vibes. Do you agree with that, Rafa? I agree. I agree. We got to, like, let's look at the glass half full. And what Messi has been doing and did today, tonight. I mean, I don't want to say there's no words because there will be words from both of us. But you get this, you get what I'm saying. It's just fun. we've had the privilege of watching him since what 2005 closely. Sadly, he left for PSG. But it's just when you think something or somebody, in this case, Messi can't surprise you anymore that he doesn't have any more tricks up up his sleeve it's he does it again and you're like wow we are witnessing history so it's it's i'm happy well yeah i could play this caricature if you wanted to do that we do a little role playing where i tell you all these things about ronaldo or i give you ronaldo's numbers and tell you about if i, I just play the, the troll or i could tell you that messi is not a barcelona player this is the barcelona podcast why are we talking about a psg play which is Fair to a point, but no, it doesn't matter. Again, I, as I said, with those five headlines, I'll say the same thing again. I dedicated so many hours of my life, not to just watching Messi. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I even replayed or wrote about the napkin story with, with Carlos Reyshack in with the napkin and the signature and all that stuff, or researching some person that helped him in some way or an agent or whatever, and every little story that I could possibly read about a guy for 17 years, right? Exactly. Like more than half of my life have I dedicated towards figuring out what makes this man tick. Reading books, literal books that friends of the podcast have even written, and trying to figure out what's next for him. 
And history is the word that sticks out to me, as people know. Like, I just had a thing about Polino Alcantara, which, I, you know, not many people watch, but that's what history is. And of course, he even gets compared to Messi because everyone's going to be compared to Messi in perpetuity because of his dribbling, because of his shooting, because as someone even so astutely said, Maradona in 1986 put Argentina on his back, won the World Cup. We'll never forget the maybe the greatest dribble of all time on the biggest stage where he just slices and dices England, scores that goal. You know, the hand of God was one thing, but that goal was the one that defined him. It defined his entire legacy. And historically speaking, I've seen that goal from Maradona a hundred times over more than I've seen any other goal by Maradona. Like I've only seen what? three Barcelona goals from Maradona, like they're not in circulation or even Napoli highlights. You see like 10 or 20 goals, but none of those even stick out in the memory. The one that sticks out in memory is the one against England. And so on the third goal in particular, when the game was already finished, I will go backwards in time, but starting with the third goal, as you mentioned, taking the center back of the tournament in Gavardiol for Croatia and turning him inside out. But again, because of Messi, it wasn't really anything completely special, right? It's not like Gavardiol fell down or he broke his ankles or he used some incredible pace. No, he just kind of ploddingly kind of just dribbled around him, kind of like a bumblebee, right? With the ball, which is like, he's juking, he's juking. You're like, well, bumblebees, we want a wasp, right? So you've got got the fly swatter in your hand. You're like, that wasp, that hornet, like, we, we got we to gotta get him out of the house. And so Gavardiol was kind of following, 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 waiting, waiting to make that tackle, waiting to make the tackle. And he just kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. And now finally, he's to the touchline, crossing it back in, or putting it back in for Alvarez to score the second. And that goal and that setup and everything, to me, yeah, it, it said exactly what Messi is. Is that, yeah, he's a goal scorer, he's an assister, he's a dribbler, but it puts it all together. And when I say history, to this meandering point here, that image of that goal being scored, even though it wasn't scored by Messi, that is an historic goal that we're living in, that we watched and we went and I, and I go, okay, well, it, I may not have kids, but when my puppy gets older, I'll show her, you know, when she's feeling ready to appreciate Messi, I'll show her that play because that play was in the semifinal of a World Cup, especially if he wins the World Cup. That was in the semifinal of a World Cup. I don't care if it was Croatia, if it, if it had been Brazil, if it's France in the final or Morocco in the final, it doesn't matter. Like that was in the semifinal of a World Cup. That guy showed up, put the team on his back, had his the Robin to his Batman in Alvarez, score the two goals, get the PK also that, that Messi winds up scoring, but also scoring the PK. Where the lights are brightest, he's failed in that spot before and just smashing it home. A 99% chance that that went in. That as in, uh, in 0.99 expected goals on, on that penalty attempt, which makes it, it's mathematically a perfect penalty, which is <laughs> which is absurd because that's what right, and that's what Messi is. It's nearing this footballing perfection. The the thing was Messi that goal the the I mean that assist the whole play it reminded me a little bit of his solo goal against the Athletic Club in the 2015 Copa del Rey final, like yeah. on the right well, side. Hey. Well, there's a Hedafe. Oh, what was it? Oh, no, he did the, the, the Copa del Rey one against Hedafe. He scored that one. But yeah. like the one in the Copa del Rey final against the Athletic yeah. Club. It's just like you said, like he toyed with the best defender in the 2022 World Cup, Vardiol. Like it wasn't somebody, it wasn't a C minus defender. It was the best defender in the whole tournament. And the way he did it, it wasn't by pure speed because obviously Messi's 35. He's not Messi the number 19, the speedy dribbler. He's not that. It was just more by wit, like you said, like the down-to experience. And just seeing Messi, like the whole tournament, like even in the Julian Alvarez's first goal, he started that counterattack, like that little touch to get a, like get the ball away from the Croatian player. It's just those little things that we, in a way, were so used to watching him in Barcelona that, in a way, we took for granted. Because to that assist, that the, the play leading up to the assist, like you said, was amazing. And the setting, when he did it, semifinals of a World Cup, but if we go back and look at Messi's best plays, assists, goals, that if obviously if, if you take out the context, just like that pure technical ability, and that to me that's not that doesn't that barely I would say even makes the top ten, and that just speaks about the greatness of of Lionel Messi, and in a way, 
like I, I said it with you on that episode we did before the World Cup. I wasn't high on Argentina, and I'm not high on Argentina even though they're in the finals. Not because of Messi, because of his teammates. And I've been gladly surprised that Messi's World Cup performance, like the way he's put this team on his back, like the only way, in my opinion, you can explain Argentina making the final is because of Lionel Messi and his greatness. Yes, like some like teammates have been good, like Julian has been. Like you said, I love that analogy. Like he's been his Robin. And he's done a great job at it. But if, without Messi, once again, this team, I don't think even, they don't make it out of the group stage. And the way he's, again, put the team on his back, it's just, I think this performance of Messi at this World Cup will be one of the performances that gets talked about from now until forever. It's been that amazing to watch. Well, what I do like about this Argentina squad, and I think the success that they've been having in the knockouts is helpful to this story. But this Argentina squad, you know, again, you and I discussed it. And even, even you know, the purist who comes on sometimes, he kind of nailed this, this point in one of his videos that this Argentina squad is almost admitting because Messi is 35, because he's not, we're not having this conversation or discussion or this theory about What role does Carlos Tevez have to play or Sergio Aguero or Diego Militao or even Gonzalo Higuain, uh, even Angel Di Maria when he was in his prime? What role do those guys play? It's not a matter of them doing it for Messi, but what do those individuals bring to the table? But this team, and it's very telling that this team starts Julian Alvarez over Latoro Martinez, because I think in all those other four incarnations of Messi at the World Cup, Latoro Martinez is a starter over Alvarez. Because while Alvarez, yeah, he's played for Man City. He's a good striker. He is still 21, or 22, rather. He's turning 23 in January. He's still on the up and up. Like, even at 23, though, he was in Argentina for a long time. So he's still kind of still unproven, again, even though he plays for Man City. But he is, uh, well, we can do the Ferran Torres thing now, because he is an elite space user, taker, like, runner, just tireless. Like, him, Molina, and, and Rodrigo DePaul are tireless. That is what they are. And that is what you need to be to support Messi. And so I think this team, more than any other Argentina we have seen in the past, because I think in the past, that was a fair criticism always, to say, this team, what can they do for Messi? Like, what can they as individuals, can they rise to the occasion for Messi? And I think the burden of this World Cup is so solely on Messi, I'm not necessarily going to blame his teammates. Like, if they fall to Morocco or France in the final... I think you're going to say that maybe they weren't good enough. Yes, but I'm not saying that his teammates could have done more. I'm saying that this team was constructed around for Messi. And if Messi fails to reach it, that's fine. Like I, I can almost live with that. I can accept that Messi fell short, but this team that was there, this, I think this team was built for him to get the best out of him. And they have, like, again, like Rodrigo DePaul and McAllister and Enzo Fernandez and Paredes, like that four in the midfield, I mean, perfectly set up for what for, to get the best out of Alvarez and Messi. Because in that setup, for, it's and Enzo Fernandez with the ball, dropping in between the center backs and helping with buildup. Paredes is his 10 to 12 yard outlet in one of the diagonals in front of him. And then whether it's the opposite flank where McAllister will try to add some width with the overlapping fullback on the other side, if they're on the left, then it's Molina pushing high. And then Rodrigo DePaul drops in and just, I mean, basically creates a five in the midfield. Because you also have Messi dropping in as well and combining, there are so many options to attack in buildup. They are wearing Croatia down quite a bit. They did. They wore them down quite a bit. They pressed really well. Between Alvarez, DePaul, Molina, you are actually talking about elite pressers. Like, are there are things Molina doesn't do? Are you afraid of him in 1v1 situation against Mbappe? Of course you are. Like, of course, if it's Mbappe. Of course. Like, because he is not necessarily a top tier 1v1 defender. I mean, I, I said this in the, in the match review that Atletico Madrid, and as, as, as much as we hate to admit it, Diego Simeone's fingerprints are all over that Argentina side because that is a side that has one and a half really, really you know, magnanimous attacking talents who are able to you know, use creativity and, and bring something out of, of it anyway. That's why so many people are asking for Di Maria to play more because you're like, where's more creativity come from Argentina? But it's not. But because very much like when, I mean, I guess you could say Koke, but even when 
Diego Simeone was trying to get the best out of Zhao Felix. It's basically Zhao Felix and 10 guys who are kind of running around and saying, we're going to defend Zhao Felix, do something. And that's what Argentina is right now. It's it's Atletico Madrid's DePaul. It's Atletico Madrid's Molina. Again, it's Alvarez who played for River Plate, but also played for Man City, which is one of the best attacking or pressing sides in the world. So you have this elite presser and these, these elite attackive, attacking, like counterattacking built in a boring term of rest defense. So I, I, you know, I actually push back a little bit and say, while they have been bad, if they succeed, it was on purpose. It, it wasn't just the genius of Messi. It was that this team was built for the genius of Messi in a way that I don't think any other Argentina side I've seen so far has been. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, this reminds me a little bit of the 2014 World Cup team under Sabela in a way that in that group stage, they they were trying to play like attacking football, pressing high up. The, the defensive line was very high up. And even though they didn't concede that many goals, they were conceding a lot of great goal-scoring opportunities. Like, I, I think it was a game against Nigeria. I don't know how Nigeria didn't win that game. Yeah, and I then as soon as they came out of the group stage, Savela realized, if, if I play, if we play like this, from the round of 16 onward, there's no way we're going to do anything. So they were just like, We, if we want to win, we can't play like that against the better teams. So they just dropped back, the pot, like crowded the midfield, and then just let Messi be Messi, pull the rabbit out of the hat. And that's what they're doing. Like, as much as I, I I'll be honest, 
Rodrigo de Paul with the ball at his feet, at his feet, is probably one of the things that I despise most, the most in this world. But that being said, Rodrigo de Paul without the ball at his feet is amazing in this Argentina squad. Like the way he presses, everything that he does defensively is amazing and complements Messi in a way that I do agree with you that at Messi at 35 years old, if you like, you have to build the team around him in this way that everybody has to run for Messi. And that's exactly what they're doing. And they're doing the, it at, at an incredible level. And Rodrigo de Paul with the ball at his feet, maybe one of, no, nah, I don't want to see the, say the worst, but like the, I don't want to see Rodrigo de Paul with the ball at his feet for more than one second. If he, if he steals the ball, he, if he gets it from someone, I want him to pass that ball as quickly as possible to someone else that can do something with the ball. But defensively, Rodrigo de Paul has shown why he's not only Messi's bodyguard off the field, shadow, he's also that, like, on the pitch. So it's been, I don't want to say amazing, but it's been nice to watch that gel in a way. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I don't, we don't know technically who's going to advance from France or Morocco, but where everybody thinks it's going to be France, Morocco. so you can't help it. Yeah. Morocco. You can't help no. it but think how this team would fare against a team like France. But what they've done so far, I think it's been smart, especially uh, Scaloni, the way that he's – I don't think he's repeated the same 11 throughout the entire tournament. And the way he, he they went against the Netherlands, they played also with three at the back. Like Lisandro started that game, mm -hmm. well, three at the back. It was basically five at the back because the wing backs are like right backs and left backs. But the way they've been able to, like today, like Croatia had more position than them. I think the Netherlands also had it. So they've been smart about it in a like a small well, a tournament like the World Cup. It's just, what, like 26, seven games? So you got to be smart in a way. And I think Scaloni has done that to perfection, knowing the team he has and the messy that he has at this stage of his career. Yeah, I mean, I've covered NCAA tournaments before, and that's what this Argentina team feels like, right? And I, and I know it seems like on the outside looking in really trite. And I wonder if also going all the way to Qatar It's something different where there's a little less fanfare than, let's say, outside influence that there would have been if they were in Argentina for the World Cup or in Brazil or even in Mexico or, uh, or again, in one of those European countries where the outside influences are kind of taking effect. But, you know, they're in Qatar and they're pretty isolated. You know, the players, I mean, like I know their families are there, but as far as like their outside world, like Qatar is kind of just a different field than what a lot of these players are used to. So I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, again, speaking of like culture and things like that, like I know chemistry and blah, 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 or something. But once they lost to Saudi Arabia, got punched in the mouth, I very much like Spain. Remember Spain in 2010 lost to Switzerland in the first game. And then and, and I, I, I want to say something real quick, hopefully knock on wood. But after that game, like everybody was like, well, Spain also lost their first game and they went on to win the finals. And like the rest of the world was like, Yeah, but that's not come on. That, that's not going to happen. Like I know you're saying that to comfort yourself and look at the glass half full, but that's not happening. And now it could happen. So I just thought like it's so I funny how. Does. I mean, you, you know me. I, I'm more happy when I'm right than I am when when even that. <laughs> <laughs> I have my priorities. But uh, so the last thing to note about the about that, I, we don't really have to touch Modric. I mean, great player. You know, respect him a, a ton. Can't stand him. <laughs> Glad he's gone. But also, like, we respect him a thousand percent. Modric is a legend of the game, truly. I hope he does not get lost in this era of great players. So I think as a Barca fan, sure, you know, I, we don't need to talk about him. But as a fan of the Liga and as a fan of Spanish football, Modric is going to be a name for a long time. I won't let people forget for sure. Anyway, the player that probably won't be playing Spanish football with a sad transition there is because Benfica have a 120 million euro release clause and you know Benfica never need to sell. So they're going to be charging at least 70, I'd say 65 to 70 was my guess because looking at how much too many went for to Real Madrid for Enzo Fernandez, who over the course of this tournament, I, I, regardless of the, the final, I won't have a different opinion. I know it's a small sample size in the tournament. I saw him a little bit for Benfica and I was more underwhelmed for Benfica. But as he has Messi and Julian Alvarez and the players around him have been for Argentina, 
arguably a little bit better. Now I know Gon- Gon- Gonzalo Ramos is in front of him for for Portugal, but he doesn't really play those long balls through the middle where he would connect with a Ramos, especially in the Portuguese league. You know, you, they, they defend quite a bit against like the likes of Benfica, so that he is playing against five at the back quite a bit in, in the Portuguese league. So I don't see a lot of stuff over the top. And he's not really doing that either. That's why early in the tournament, I try, I compared him more to Frankie de Jong than I did to, to Busquets because that's kind of what the pivot that he looks like. He's, he's a runner. He dribbles into space. He can score the occasional goal. The balls that he, the long balls he is spraying though, that I want to say is more Busquetsy than it is de Jong-y would be the ones to the, to the diagonals. And as he's gone through the knockout, and I think he is throughout this tournament too, building in confidence. So he's looked better and better, I think, Enzo Fernandez has. You know, he had a few moments against the Netherlands where you went, oh boy. But again, that game was also complete havoc, right? So there was there were bad moments and good moments for everybody in that game. And so I've been so impressed by Enzo Fernandez. My questions for his size or whatever, where I said, oh, could he really be a single pivot for Barcelona or could he can't handle this task? I come out of this tournament, I think of any other player that I can think of having his stock raised the most for me. I think he is fully capable. I would say Barcelona, if he was even in any way gettable next summer, uh, if, if there's a player they go and get, that's the player you go and get. I mean, no offense. Like I, I know there are right backs, but I mean, yeah, if you spend 15 million euros on Ar- Arnau Martinez, you renew Sergio, Sergio Roberto for the, the, you know 10 cents. And then you kind of just hope, hope, you know, so caution to the wind that Arna Martinez really can be the guy, right? You spend 15 million euros there, and then you do go 65, go hard after Enzo Fernandez, and you and you say, okay, that's all we can afford for FFP. Let's call it a wrap. Like if, if that's the money they have, let's say they have 80 million euros for some reason due to salary, they don't renew. Well, we'll do Busquets in a second, but let's you know, whether they do or not, but whether or not they get their wage structure and their salary structure and their FFP and their one-to-one to a point where they could they could get him. My concern though is at 120 million euros, I can't imagine that that Barcelona w- would get him. And my question then for you is would be even if they could, has he impressed you enough in this tournament for you to believe that that you could say, "Hey, this is this is going to be the guy. This is the pivot." <sighs> the thing is, I personally hate valuing players during the World Cup because I I mm-hmm. firmly believe like I, there there's there's some people that give it like give the World Cup like a high standard because of like the, the importance and, and whatnot. And yes, to a certain point, that's true. But also, it's just such a short sample that obviously if you have a great World Cup and I've seen an amount of work from you before, then of course, like like Mbappe, like he's been amazing for the past four years and he's having an incredible World Cup, then yeah. But if I haven't seen that from you before, and all of a sudden you have the best four to seven games of your life. Like how like James Rodriguez at the twenty fourteen World Cup. Yeah, he was really yeah. good at Porto and whatnot. But nobody before the World Cup was talking about, oh, we need to spend this crazy amount on James. He had the best games of his career. He was simply amazing. Then he ended up at Madrid for eighty something million euros. So to me, that's a thing. It's not to say that Enzo isn't having a great tournament. I do agree with you. Basically, everything you said about Enzo in this World Cup. But to me, to spend, knowing the limitations that we have right now, that we don't know if we're going to be able to comply with the one-to-one rule and whatnot and all the financial fair play problem that we're having with the league, Teos and whatnot, I, to me, spending 60 or 70 on Enzo is, to me, that's very risky. Well, I mean, I again, we're almost kind of transitioning to the Busquets thing. I don't want to do that just yet. But, I mean, you're really talking, the number is 60 or 70 for Zubamendi, for Real Sociedad. You're talking 45 for Ruben Neves, who, again, based on what he's done for Wolves this season or for what he's done for Portugal, 45 for him, yeah, it doesn't make anybody excited. So what I keep saying about the pivot thing is the same thing about, like, the fullback market. Like, when people, like, disparage deaths, where it's like, there are only so many options. And at some point, you are going to have to bite the bullet a little bit. And if I'm going to bite the bullet, and I think what your argument is saying says a lot about no disrespect to Amrabat for Fiorentina, but we've seen Amrabat, right? He's 26 years old. We've seen him around. He played for Watford. We saw him at Watford. We've seen him for Fiorentina. And we kind of know who he is. And in that Morocco system where he has these elite fullbacks and these elite wingers to spray those long balls to, those diagonals to, once his teammates are not Hakimi and Mazraoui and, and Ziyech, then it doesn't really work so much anymore for him. Like he can't do that on his own. And then Florentina have 
you know, good players. They have decent players. But even with that step up, like Morocco's system is built perfectly to not expose what Amrabat doesn't give you. So that's an example of a player where I, I would not say go out and break the bank for him. Like he seems like a cheap option, but obviously Florentino are going to slap the biggest price tag on, the, on him that they can. But yeah, he's a player in his prime that I, I think is still a backup, right? At, like a, at, at a big club, if you will. He's still just a backup player. But again, because Enzo was 21 years old, because again, his metrics even at Benfica, I've told you he's in the short list of those players, those under 24 pivots who you have to take a hard look at. What I'm saying is my belief and my bias, I'm saying, hey, was I overrating this kid? If anything, this has been a confirmation bias for me to say, no, I, I think this is one of the, I was right into saying that he is one of the three or four players who Barcelona should really be considering. And as I said, like, I think to me, he's above Ruben Neves on that depth chart as far as who you go after. And then kind of tied with Supermendi. But to me, with Supermendi, I think it struggles. Be- I-, I think my issue with him is that he doesn't have the dribbling ability that Enzo has shown in this tournament. So Enzo, while he's going to have a few more issues in Barcelona with the, the space in behind, he does have that switch that Supermendi doesn't have. Like if your team isn't playing well, like when we also see dad are hot garbage, then Supermendi is not saving you. He's not special. But when your team is clicking and we also see a data firing on a cylinder, you're like, oh my gosh, look at this pivot really you know, dictating everything and doing everything like that. So I think that is a big difference between those two. And I think so Enzo, there will be higher highs and lower lows than Zubamendi. But you know, what are you looking for? You're looking for the, the safety blanket, I think in the pivot position, I think you are. So anyway, let's transition a bit here in the second half of the show. This is a hard question. It's a question I warned you, I prepped you with. You probably have an answer for me. Luis Enrique, headed over to Ibai's Twitch to say that there is one player. I can't believe he said this, by the way. There is one player, but as much as I'm surprised Luis Enrique said this, the Greg Berhalter, Giorena stuff that everybody's probably been watching about all that, like it could be worse. If you're, if you're Spain, Luis Enrique, you could have said something worse. So yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely uh, insane. But Luis Enrique said there is one player that he would have left home and he should have brought somebody else. And everyone, of course, today, trying to figure out who that one player is. And I'll give you the first guess. Who do you think it is? Uh, I think it's my boy. I think Eric it's Ansu. I think it's Ansu. <laughs> I one. I, I I was surprised. I watched the whole the whole uh, Twitch stream uh, yesterday. It did. I, I agree with you. It did surprise me that Luis Enrique even admitted that because when you admit that, you leave that open for everybody to take a stab at it and try and guess who that player is. Obviously, he didn't say so. It it did kind of surprise me because at the end of the day, let's say if it if it indeed was Ansu, which we don't know, then what do you have to gain from it? Because that was your decision, and that you can't change it. What were you gonna bring Borja Iglesias, Diago Aspas? Well, I don't know. It, it's just like it doesn't serve well to anybody. And Luis Enrique has never in a way, so far that I know, like he hasn't been prone to be Mourinho-esque to throw players under the bus that way. So to me, it's like, if you're not, like, obviously I didn't want him to say a name, but if you're not even going to say a name, then why why say that? Because now it's like open season for the Sharks and the media. We're talking about it here as well. So it's like, it did surprise me, but if I would have to take a, like some people were also saying Guillamon. If you look at it, he only played. He took what? Uh, Laporte, like center backs. He took Laporte. He took Eric Garcia. Guillamon, I know Guillamon also plays in the midfield and whatnot. But let's say that's count him as a center back for all purposes. Did he take a fourth center back? Uh, maybe I'm. Asplicueta as a right back center back. Technically. A hybrid, yeah. But like he took three center backs and only played one. Having Rodri, who's a pivot, as his other center back. So if it was an Ansu, which I think it's a fair guess, it could be Ansu. We don't know. The other thing that kind of made sense for me in a way was one of the center backs, like either like Eric, but in a way, I don't think it was Eric because he's had Eric before. That's it. So that was my argument for Eric. I think it may, like maybe like if I, I had to take a guess, I would say maybe Guillamón. Like it was either Ansu or Guillamon. So it's like, uh, like, because the rest of the players, like, I don't think, like, like the forwards, whatever. I think it's Ansu or Guillamon. Who do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, the guess would have been Pablo Sarabia, but on that very 
stream, he said, I wish I had played Sorabe even more <laughs> instead of playing him less. <laughs> the reason for Ansu, why I say it's, I don't in any way think it's Ansu, is because if it, yeah, it, especially if it's a Barca player, it's definitely not Ansu. Because even though he didn't have a bigger role, even though we, you know, you would have expected more from Ansu, Luis Enrique watches Barcelona. He knew exactly what he was getting from Ansu. If anything, we've heard it before. Luis Enrique was in almost constant contact with Ansu and his people about his fitness, about the state of his confidence, about everything that was going on. A month before the World Cup, Luis Enrique came out one of those interviews and said, yeah, I, I really want to give all my faith and you know everything to Ansu and say, hey, you're working your way back. It's going to take some time, but we have total faith in him, yada, yada, yada. And I, that's why I don't think it's Ansu. I think Luis Enrique had a full understanding that Ansu is right now who he's been for Barca, which is hopefully capable of something else in the future, but not exactly where... Not, he's not the superstar, the star that we initially thought he might be, but he might be working his way back to that moment. And he brought him and brought him on the field in exactly the right moment when you would have played Ansu in this tournament based on what he'd been for Barca. It's that, hey, this guy can do something here. He could have some kind of moment and then we're going to roll the dice on Ansu. And that's what Ansu was. He was a roll of the dice. And I don't think that Luis Enrique pulls that back and says, I'm not going to roll the dice again the same way. I think, again, because I think he knew exactly what he was getting there. And then to the Eric point, you, you said exactly. He was a regular for Luis Enrique leading into the World Cup. So, and I think playing Rodri at center back was the plan all along to get both Rodri and Busquets on the field at the same time. Because you want to get, and Luis Enrique said that about Busquets too. Like the fact that he would say, hey, we'd love to have that guy at the next World Cup, which everyone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's insane. I mean, and he's no longer the, the coach of, of Spain, so we'll have to see about Busquets' Spanish future. But to say that tells me that Busquets is always going to be in his plans. Rodri, obviously, is always going to be his plans. So how do you get them both on the field at the same time? And that's why I kind of do put my money on, as you mentioned, Guillamon or Jeremy Pino, two young players that Luis Enrique didn't really use prior to and hadn't really worked with that many times at the national team. So I think there's an idea that he felt like he lost a spot that he could have filled for a player that could have made an impact where Pino for him just wasn't ready. Like he felt like he was wasting a 26 or Guillamon, who's been good for Valencia, wasn't exactly what he needed as both either a center back or as a defensive midfielder, an extra midfielder to put on the field. He wasn't, he didn't do exactly the jobs that, that he was, that he was expected to do, right? He wasn't a, a master of one. He just was a jack of all trades for Valencia, as we see. Now, if it was a Barcelona player, this is, this is one I haven't seen yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to zag on you a little bit. I think it's actually Adahana Balde if it were a Barca player. I don't think it is, but if it was, it's Balde. Because I know he played regularly, even had a start. But it's the same argument, and, and, and that's kind of like the fact that he played regularly, is the argument I used for why it wasn't Nico Williams or Ferran Torres or Marco Asensio. Because I think, you know, those players, if, if Luis Enrique was using a player a lot, like a Nico Williams, that probably wasn't the guy he would have replaced. But the fact that Luis Enrique would have selected another left back if Gaia didn't get hurt, and he was kind of like, oh, I had to rush to make this decision, and Baldi wasn't really, you know, maybe I should have gone with Alex Moreno or another left back to throw in here instead of Balde because of those two blunders. Like maybe this player who I saw for Barca wasn't ready for this moment. He wasn't ready for international football. Cause a reminder, he made his Spain debut in that first match. Like this was it. Like he had never played on Luis Enrique. And so this is the first time he really got to see him work with him. So even though he was good, I think those two blunders may have hit made Luis Enrique. rethink the selection of Balde. But as I say, I still kind of go with, Guillemot instead, because the other defenders, this is doing the, the digging. My wife and I do play this Sherlock Holmes game. So I always feel like I'm like super smart when I get it like one or two before. So I looked at the premier preliminary squad. It had Sergio Ramos, Inigo Martinez, Diego Llorente, Marcos Alonso, and Arna Martinez. So technically, Alonso was the only left back even from the preliminary squad. So Alex Moreno wasn't even named to the preliminary squad. And I would trust that Luis Enrique wouldn't have swapped out Alonso for Balde if he could do it again. I think he still goes Balde under Alonso because, again, Luis Enrique is a man who I generally trust with his selections. So that would be my one, my one conspiracy about Balde, that he might be saying, I had to make a rash emergency decision to bring in Balde for Gaia, and maybe I should have gone with a, a more veteran player. I would have done something else. But again, he did play quite a bit. <laughs> it was him or, even again, he started a game. It was either him, and, and when I say start a game, remember, Every match for them in the group stage mattered. It wasn't a rotation game like when France lost to Tunisia. Like that game mattered and Balde started it and Spain got the result they needed in that game. So I don't think it was a Barca player. Like running through it, like I just, I don't think it was a Barca player. I mean, I would hope it wasn't one and not knowing that Luis Enrique is 
like blaugrana through and through. Right. <laughs> it would surprise me a lot if it indeed was a Barcelona player because if there's one thing that Lu Luis Enrique isn't, is dumb. He yeah. ain't dumb. So he knows that if he says something like that, which he ended up saying, the media is going to eat it up. Yep. Whether it's to just have a nice discussion like we're doing, or if they want to be sharks about it and do it in a negative way. Either way, they're going to talk about it. We're talking about it. So knowing how hardcore of a Blaugrana Luis Enrique is, it would indeed surprise me if it was a Barcelona player that he was talking about. So I would like to think, because I do have Lucho in a pedestal, uh, I would have him like, wait, wait, right here. I would like to think that it wasn't a Barcelona player. Sorry, I was listening. I was writing Parvahal all over uh, Danny Carvajal's Instagram. Sorry, I, <laughs> I assume it's Danny Carvajal. We just have to, the Barcelona podcast. We have to assume that it was Danny, Danny Carvajal. But no, I think Carvajal also started in a place that Ed Boquette could have. So anyway, speaking of the Spanish squad, Busquets, let's wrap up the show here. It's in the news this week, maybe because there's not enough Barca news going on otherwise, but Busquets may renew after all. And as I always say, where there's smoke, there's fire. And while he did... To, uh, last week, even again, time is a flat circle. Well, he was linked to Inter Miami along with Messi last week again. And as I said, you know, conspiracy theory here that because the MLS season begins at the end of February for preseason, the fact that Busquets has said he'd make his decision on his future in February, it's a really weird timeline. Like he doesn't say summer, he says February. And if he's going to join a league in February, it's either the it's either Liga Emekis or it's <laughs> the Brazilian league. He's joining Pumas. Or, right, or it's MLS. So I think the, again, I smoke this fire on that, but in the same regard, I think this actually says the renewal thing this week says more about the club than it does about Busquets because it was reported by, what was it, Sport? I don't want to get it wrong. It was either Sport or Deportivo. It was one of like the Catalan tabloids more than it was like in act coming from like an actual like reporter, individual like reporter sticking his neck out. And when it comes from those papers, It, there's always some like, how does this help the club, right? Like, what's the, 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 the Barca Ganda version of this? And that is that I think there is financial bad news coming about the Champions League thing. I think, you know, with January, we already know they can't sign anybody. They've been pretty transparent with that. Jordi Cruyff also said in that same interview, he hinted that like, hey, the summertime might be bad too. If anything, we might have a one-to-one -one now, but we don't have the money. And we might have, we might be back to four-to-one in the summer just to warn everybody because of losing out on that Champions League revenue. So, yeah, I mean, losing some salaries, if they're able to sell Jordi Alba, if that's in the plan, and then obviously having Busquets renew by restructuring his deal and putting him part of that wage structure, I think they believe that having Busquets, it's not about him on the field. I think this is just like clearly like behind the scenes, having him on a number that is palatable is going to be much, much, much cheaper in theory. Like think about how much he makes now. That player is not cheaper, but having him on a much cheaper restructured deal And kicking the can down the road at that spot is something that the club, I think, is saying, we might have to do this and we might have to bite this bullet. So by having that story come out in sported Mundo Tiba now, they're kind of judging and saying to everybody, hey, we warned you about this, even though we didn't, right? Even though the tabloids did, we just want to make this idea palatable for you in your head that Busquets is returning. So don't riot. Don't get your white handkerchiefs out because Busquets is back. But just so you know, it might happen. Because you watch Ruben Neves at the World Cup. You want to pay $45 for him or $50 for him? Zubamendi is $70 or $75. Enzo Fernandez is $75. And, I mean, Barcelona might not have $25 to spend on that position. Um, so I think they're just making this idea that Busquets might return palatable. And by Xavi wanting him, I think that means, like, in the best interest of the club, financially, he should renew. I think that's what that means when it says Xavi likes what he sees. Or maybe Xavi does like what he sees because he has, like, BFS with him. I'm afraid that ex that's exactly what it is because I also saw um, a column from Javi Miguel. He's like the Barcelona writer for AS.com AS in uh, Spanish. And he said that Sergi Roberto and um, Araujo are the quote-unquote winner signings to for Xavi at, at that right-back spot, meaning that Barcelona don't have money to go after because of the not because they don't necessarily have 10 50 million for like whoever it might be but because of the financial fair play rules 
and how apparently Tewas made them even stricter, stricter, right in the in recent weeks. So I, I saw that, and then I saw the Busquets rumor a few days after that, saying that they were like obviously the the renewal rumors. So I was trying to again put like two and two together, and I was thinking if this is true, that we can't even like sign a right back because we can't like enroll him within the salary cap. And then you see this, well, we might renew Busquets. Like the only reason that that might make any sense whatsoever would be financial reasons because of fair play. And fair play during the summer, we would have to go back to like one to four rule and whatnot. So we're not going to be able to sign whoever that may be. Enzo, Ruben, Suimendi, whoever that may be. So it, it worries me in a way that it is because of that only. Then thinking, well, we're going to have to like go to the free transfer market again, like what we did with the like Memphis, Cunahuero, Eric, and when now we're going to have to start looking at what, like Kante? It is. Yeah, we'll go like Kante. Yep, that's the name. So again, like that's that's a name that keeps popping up in a way that on a, on on a free. Yep, it's that one. And I'm I'm afraid that sadly next summer it's we're not going to be talking about oh we might be able to sign this guy for 20, 30. Obviously, I'm not even talking about 40, 50 like the Rafinhas that we did right now. We're going to be talking about who is coming on a free transfer, who ended their contract with this club. See, N'Golo Kante is the name that's like sounding a lot for that defensive midfielder spot. And I, it, it's where like what, where it's still December or like mid December, 2022. Like we are going to have to come to gripes with it. Like during like in a six month span during like come June, July, when the big boys start talking about Endrick, Bellingham and, and whatnot, we're going to have to talk about Conte and the free transfers. Yeah, I think that, again, when the frustration came from crashing on the Champions League, of course, that's frustrating. But the sadder part of that was, oh, you know, the, the receipt for this is not going to become due for a few months. And I think, again, I think the club is trying to find ways to make it palatable. And it has been really telling that Jordi Cruyff in the last few weeks has been, now he's officially in the role, He's been a bit more outspoken and a bit more of a front-facing figure than Laporta has because I think Laporta is starting to recognize that his way of distributing this information is a little bit bombastic where he makes promises, like the messy promise, right? Like he makes promises and as a politician, you have to come good on some of your promises and you can't fail all of them. So I think by having Jordi Cruyff be a bit more honest with everybody, you know, I think for Laporta, it's all about optimism. Again, he's the politician, he's the president, and he's the one who hired the man in the job and the man in the job is Cruyff, right? Who could lose his job if he, if he does it poorly, as opposed to, yes, for Laporta to lose his job, he has to be voted out, right? Through like political means, through democracy. So kind of putting this on Jordi Cruyff makes it a bit more palatable. Uh, and again, remember Cruyff also still has quite a lot of name cachet in that area and with Kool-Aid's and with supporters. So I think as far as the Barca stuff, I totally understand why Kool-Aid's are really, really frustrated, why they're tuned out right now, why the World Cup, even for them, especially if you feel like, Messi went to PSG, so I'm out. Like, I understand how the World Cup even, it's like, what am I watching? Is this enjoyable? Like, everything's a guitar. Like, it feels terrible. Like, I, I I, might have this on another show with somebody else. I might do this again. So as I end this here, but Grant Wall passing away at the World Cup, like, to me, it's unfortunately, like, I'm hoping I remember this World Cup as the one that Messi won. I'm always, of course, going to remember this as the one that Grant Wall passed away, the, the the soccer journalist, again, for those who aren't in the US. And my little story about him, like, the one thing you keep seeing on social media everywhere is that he took time for everybody. And he even, like, he took time for me. Like, in 2014, I met him at a World Cup conference uh, locally. Like, I got a ticket through a professor. It was there. It was like an academic conference. Pele was given an honorary doctorate and all that stuff. So the whole thing was about, like, seeing Pele. But Grand Wall was on, like, three or four panels that I kept going to. And after the fourth one, he came up to me and was like, hey, I keep seeing your face at all these panels. Like, what are you? And at that point, I was, like, 23, 24 years old, just coming up as a journalist. And 
he goes, well, what are you working on like related? And at the time I had this blog that I'm not going to tell the listeners the name of because I don't want you to Google it and find it. But I did. I had a soccer blog with three other guys that I knew at the time. And it was kind of a little more laissez-faire with like whatever the idea was we had, right? So uh, I actually wrote about the dictatorship of Brazil and how that connected the the football. Like it was like long range, like research pieces. Like it was much more stuff that unfortunately people would have to pay for from the blizzard or something. But I was doing it for free at the time because I was like 23, 24, right? Trying to get my work out there. And he gave me his business card and he said, hey, keep doing that, but also keep doing things like keep putting stuff out, keep working on stuff and like hit me up and let me know. So after I I wrote something about Hungary, which I've used now on the show quite a bit, I talked about the Hungarian team and the connections and all that stuff and the Hungarian revolution. And I sent that to him and he gave me feedback and went back and forth for uh, you know a few months on, on that piece and then some other things. And as far as when I even started working for the podcast, uh, for the for Barca blog back in 2014, 15, got in touch with Frances. And one time he just had sent, like I had sent him an email about like, oh, hey, I'm doing this now. And he said, that's great, right? And that's all he said. But you know, Grant Wall, as I said, made time for me. But again, he also made time for all the people that you see that are front facing everywhere, CBS, Fox, ESPN, wherever. He knew all of those people, every single one of them. Like, you know, whether it was LeBron James and the chosen one back in 2003 at Sports Illustrated, I remember reading that story. I had SI at the time as, 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 a, as, a, as a youngster, as a teenager. And so I read that stuff. And then when he moved over to the soccer, he was a soccer journalist. Like, again, for those who aren't in the US, like they may not understand, but he was the guy. Not to say he even stood up for soccer, but he got into a lot of arguments with the people I have friends in this industry. He got into arguments with them because he was so devout with standing up for the Women's World Cup, standing up for things to a point where it almost seemed like almost bothersome, right? Like that he was so devout to to what he believed that he was always willing to ruffle feathers and and upset people. Like, especially like on the MLS side where he would like really be critical of the league in ways that just kind of like, you know, it's, it's difficult to accept that that criticism, right? At times. Uh, so people didn't like and want to accept that criticism. But yeah, so Grant Wall is a huge loss. Definitely one of the ways that I'm going to remember this World Cup. Just like, there's an absolute tragedy there. And I know people have also hit me up about the conspiracy parts of it. But if you've been following the story, his brothers come out so that there was no foul play. This is just a man who was overworked, got sick. And I mean, they didn't have the proper medical care available to him fast enough. And so there's a difference between negligence and nefarious reasons. And this, unfortunately, like as many medical cases are, is just negligence. And it's sad. And uh, that, that's the saddest part of it, I think. But uh, yeah, Rafa? No, so, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't know him personally. I I didn't know who he was. And one, I, he, came, he came to Puerto Rico. There was a friendly a few years ago. Uh, before here came Maria between Puerto Rico and the U.S. He was here. So there's journalists that I know that met him as well. And from what I've read and seen, like, from everybody, like the, the U.S. soccer journalists, like I saw Sebastian Salazar's bit that he did on Grant, Grant Wall and um, basically how like saying that he stood for like the the ethic of of the sport and whatnot in journalism, and it is I mean it is a truly sad moment that happened during this World Cup and nobody will forget about it. And like you said about the foul play, like we don't know and hopefully like not nothing happened. Not that it would make it any like it won't make anyone happy because sadly he, he did pass away. But it was nice seeing the like so many heartfelt stories about people that knew him, like you, like just right now. Also adding to that, saying that how much because to me that's something that I personally value, especially people that are in media and in a way are famous. They're famous. It is what it is. They're yeah. famous. They're influencers, and not all people are humble. Like I, like you and I. Like we've worked, we, we, we've worked and we work yeah. in this industry. Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've worked at ESPN and then, and, and other like, like TV channels and whatnot. And you value who is really humble. Like even as soon as the camera stops, you do know who is genuinely humble yep. and who's just like putting up a front. And as soon as that camera stops rolling, they're not humble. You know that. So to see that, that many heartfelt stories about how genuine he was and how he did like to help everybody. Not just like, oh, I'm going to help you because you're famous like I am, but you're a little kid attending these conferences. And that, that story that you just said is really cool that him noticing you like, hey, <laughs> I'm seeing your face all over the place. Who are you? Why are you here? And taking the time to talk to you and like, I mean, there was like, only like seven people 
like sitting like again no. some of those topics those are like academic topics yeah super super boring for the 24 <laughs> like super super boring like very specific specific things i mean again things that i get into sometimes on the youtube channel really in the weeds but yeah so my face was there but again he only i mean i only spoke to him again or, or correspond i only literally talked to him face to face once and there were people again that worked with him for he was such an important figure for 20 years and the world cup here 2026 without him I think it's pretty unfortunate because, you know, as people know, I live in the U.S. I love the U.S., but also the U.S. has like dramatic flaws that uh, I think always kind of need to be spoken about and exposed. So I really hope that while I can't expect the big cable networks to do their criticisms and the due diligence, I know that Grant Wall would have. And I do hope that some people fill that space, fill that vacuum and say, hey, U.S., great. I'm glad. Let's wave our American flags. Let's wave the Mexican flags. Let's wave Canadian flags. But, but there are negative things that happen because of the World Cup. And it may not be as front-facing as migrant workers are dying <laughs> like a guitar, which is like really easy to be like, that's the problem, or yeah. this is like one of many problems. But the US is going to have its own problems that I hope you know journalists are brave enough to be critical of. Again, like it was something that, again, with you and I, I've trained myself in other skills where I didn't have to be a front-facing, brave journalist, right? Like that's what I studied to be. That's what I tried to be for a few years. And I was like, no, I'm going to learn how to click on the computer and learn how to make things pretty and edit and things like that. And, you know, and then find my own voice in that way. So yeah, surely it's a voice and it's a, uh, you know, a written, I mean, again, the number of awful, awful student blogs he must have read through the years is just incredible. Like I am not a great writer, you know, as people know from my Barca blog work, I'm not a great writer, but good enough. And I know that he read some utter trash around, uh, around the internets here. So yeah, huge loss there for him. And, you know, as, as you said, I just want to pants my too, Rafa, that uh, in this industry, you know, I, I know I, you know, not toot my own horn, but I, whenever I do on-air stuff or work out in the broadcast in the field, I make sure I learn the first name of every single producer, of every camera person behind the scenes, like of the crew that I work with. Like, I always want to figure out, like, maybe I don't have time for a conversation. I usually don't. Like, I'm working on my stuff. I have my prep work. I have to get on the air. And so I'm just thinking about what I'm thinking about. But at least I try to introduce myself, say who I am, hello to you, because I'm nobody. Still, I'm nobody. That's why it's easy for me to do that. But if I ever did become somebody, I want to be that somebody who, who makes sure that everybody's a somebody. Because again, you and I have worked in this business enough where we've seen too many people. You know, again, I don't have specific names, but just there are too many people who, when through my experiences I've worked through, that are just like, oh, they don't, especially the ones who don't care about soccer because they don't know who I am and they don't think that there's value to what I do. So for those people, they're like, I don't even this guy is nothing to me. Even if he's like something in soccer, like I don't care about this. You know, this, this kid is whatever this guy, I mean, I'm in my thirties. So it's like this guy, this guy or whatever, he still calls me a kid, but you know, this guy is, is whatever. So anyway, it's a weird, weird way, no easy way to end it, but kind of going full circle here on the messy stuff. Like I'm excited for the messy stuff. That is another way I want to remember this whole cup with messy win. But as you said, France, they look like the favorites right now. You know, if you and I were not betting people, but if we were, I think we both are going France there. So yeah, is that what you got? France of Argentina in the final? I mean, I'm going to put you on blast. I do. I mean, I have France. I've had France from the get-go as my World Cup winner, so I'm not going to change it. But I got to be honest with you and everybody that's watching this uh, this episode. There, like, I, I don't like to be wrong. I do like to be right 99% of the time. But if there's one of those instances where I would love, love to be wrong, it's this one. I would... Like I, I told you off camera, but like I'll even say it like online. I've been mad at Messi since the 2020 summer, so I've been pretty critical of him because I, I do think that I, I, I think, I feel like he led me as a Barcelona fan down in a way the way he handled everything. But that way, it's like when you love somebody that when you they do something that you think wasn't. Right, it hurts you. It hurts you more than somebody else had done it. But that I still love the guy. Like obviously, it's the best. He's the best player I've ever seen. He's given me so many fond memories. And to me, like even if you take that out, I mean, it's it just wouldn't be fair. And I know life isn't fair. And if he faces France in the World Cup, it the, the odds are that the like, outcome yeah. won't be fair. Sadly. But the best player of our generation and arguably top three, like I, I'm not going to get into that argument whether you think it's Maradona, Pelé, or Messi, however, wherever you want to put him. But he's definitely, definitely top three ever. So for him to not have a World Cup, I think it would be really unfair. Life isn't fair. 
but I do think it would be unfair. So ah, my heart says Messi, Argentina. My brain, my betting brain says France and Mbappe and Griezmann and Dembele and Chouameni, Koundé, Theo, and everybody else. Well, now that you've said that, all of our Moroccan listeners will be sending all of their their posters and their their pictures or whatever after Morocco is holding the trophy. So just so you know, now that you've set that up. I'm sorry, them- Morocco fans from Morocco. I, I love Morocco. It's an amazing story. And if they pull through and get to the final, it would be amazing. So sorry, but I do think France. I have France as my, as my World Cup winner, so I'm just like sticking with what I said yeah. from, uh, well, I'd, from I'd the argue- start. I had Argentina as mine, so so I'm well, I'm, I'm halfway there. So I want you to be right, Dan. I want you to be right. Yeah, me too. Me too. Just at least for the numbers. <laughs> but that'll wrap it up another cinema show, though. Again, make sure you follow Rafa all over social media with his stuff. It's down below. We are on Instagram and Twitter too at the Barcelona Pod. I keep pushing it. I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, especially for those. If you're still here, if you listen to that whole thing about me rambling about you know broadcasts and people, whatever, then you should be in our Discord. Because that is more exciting conversation than what I just had and you listened to. So join our Discord. It's down in the comments below as well. And Patreons, you get special access to a special channel there, a special conversation. Again, I don't do much for my Patreons, but that's something that, that you get as an added bonus while well as listening to the shows with the out the ads over on Patreon. And then, of course, we're on YouTube. I had a history about Paulino Alcantara. I did the match review for this one. May do the match review tomorrow. See how I feel. See what the numbers are for the for the Argentina Croatia one. Let's put it that way. And most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you in the sports part. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.